1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. It says, This command I entrust, I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight, keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. Good morning and welcome again. We're grateful for your presence. We're so thankful that you're here today. If you're visiting, we want you to feel as if you are an honored guest because you are. And we want to encourage you to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you have. We're very thankful for the many visitors that come our way from week to week. We have been blessed in recent months with a number of visitors. We have been the recipients of a number of people that have placed membership here at Olive Branch, and it may be that you're looking for a church home. And let me say, if that's the case, you found the right place. We would love to have you. And if you are looking for a church home and you want to find out how you can fit in with a congregation, let me encourage you to talk to our elders. I know that they would be happy to talk to you, to answer any questions that you might have about what's going on here, and help you to find your niche in the work. In our study today, the passage that Jordan read just a moment ago, we're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. And for the next few minutes, I want us to think about the danger of spiritual shipwreck. What does it mean to have a shipwrecked faith? The Bible talks about any number of people that at one time had been in good standing with the Lord. They had enjoyed a relationship with God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son. But something happened, and their faith ran aground. I want us to think for a minute or two today about the danger of a faith that runs aground. I want to begin by spending some time and talking about resisting spiritual shipwreck. As we think about what Paul said in verse 18, here's what he wrote to Timothy, his own son in the faith. And Paul was a mentor, a guide, a guiding force, if you please, in the life of Timothy, the young evangelist. And so he writes, this charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, having faith and a good conscience, which some, having rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck, of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. As we think about the charge here, resisting spiritual shipwreck, I want to begin by talking about the reality of the warfare, the battle that we face as God's people. Whether we like it or not, we are involved in spiritual warfare. 
Now, the Bible pictures Satan as the adversary of man. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 5 at verse 8, Be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary the devil walketh about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Paul in Ephesians chapter 6 said, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, spiritual hosts in high places. And the idea is that we are fighting a spiritual conflict. Now as we think about this battleground, it is really between good and evil, right and wrong, truth and error. Every day we are at war. Paul would say over in chapter 6, fight the good fight of faith. So from the vantage point of real world, we are involved in conflict. We're at war. And the idea is we want to hold fast to the teaching of Almighty God. We want to avoid spiritual shipwreck. Now I said a moment ago that the battle is between right and wrong, good and evil, truth and error. Look if you would at the forces that stand in opposition to that which is right and true and good. Satan is leading the charge. Paul said in Ephesians 6 verse 10, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength or power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the schemes of the devil. So we're involved in spiritual conflict. And as we think about the reality of this warfare, I want us to think for just a moment or two about our resolve in spiritual warfare. It's incumbent on me to make sure that I can withstand, as Paul would say in Ephesians 6, in the evil day. In other words, I've got to equip myself so that I can stand toe-to-toe with the devil and ultimately win. Now, sometimes that's easier said than done. There are a couple of ways that this is accomplished. Number one, we have to anchor in to the Word. In other words, we have to to be anchored to the truth of Almighty God. Not only are we to anchor ourselves to the truth, but we must adhere to the truth. Let's just talk for a minute, minute, minute or two about anchoring our lives to the truth of Almighty God. When we obey the gospel, the Bible pictures us as a spiritual infant. We are babes in Christ. That's what Peter said in 1 Peter 2, 2. And the exhortation is, as a newborn baby, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. So our goal is to grow and to mature as a spiritual person. One of the ways that I grow and mature is by feeding on the Word of God, isn't it? Remember what Peter said in 2 Peter 3, verse 18? Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The more I grow in the Word, the deeper my faith, and the better equipped I am to wage war with the devil. In the fifth chapter of the book of Hebrews, the writer there talks about people that had not grown as they should. They had remained in spiritual infancy. 
But he says those who have grown to maturity, they have exercised their senses so that they might discern between good and evil. Somebody says, why should I study the word of God? Why should I anchor my life to the truth of God? Well, the more you know about the word of God, the better equipped you are to make decisions that pertain to right and wrong, truth and error, good and evil. You've got to know what the truth says. So you've got to anchor your life to the truth. Think about a ship, a vessel out in the water. That vessel, if it's going to maintain a sense of stability, can do what? Drop an anchor. Well, if you want to be able to stand toe-to-toe with the devil, you've got to be anchored to the truth, and then you've got to adhere to the truth. So you anchor in and then adhere to the truth of Almighty God. Now, Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, abstain from the very appearance of evil. And then he said, prove all things, hold fast that which is good. That would imply that some things are not good. And so what I've got to do is anchor my life to the truth and then adhere to what God says. Stay true to the book. One of the the things that that will do is enable me to maintain a relationship with the Lord. When people become spiritual casualties, it's because they're not anchored to the truth and they're not adhering to the truth, and the two go hand in hand. Now, let's think for a minute or two about why people become spiritual casualties. Let's talk about some reasons for spiritual shipwreck. Now the Bible here talks about two men, Hymenaeus and Alexander. And apparently they had made shipwreck of their faith. What are the causes of spiritual shipwreck? What happens in the life of a person? when he or she runs aground, spiritually speaking. Let me just give you some reasons why sometimes people falter in their faith. There are a lot of reasons. Let me begin by saying that in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus talks about the word of God that is deposited into the hearts and lives of people. Sometimes that word that is deposited into the hearts and lives of people does not bring forth fruit. What happens is, They falter. So, number one, tribulation or persecution. The word tribulation that Jesus uses in Matthew chapter 13 has to do with oppression. Now, you have to understand, in the first century, there was a tremendous amount of persecution being waged against the people of God. On the one hand, you had unbelieving Jews that made life very difficult for men like the Apostle Paul or even Timothy. And then on the other hand, you had Roman officials that were at war with the people of God. Nero Caesar was responsible for the death of the Apostle Paul. And when Paul wrote his second letter to Timothy, he said, I'm already being offered. The time of my departure is at hand. Paul knew that death was imminent. He would be beheaded by the Roman emperor. Later in the first century, Domitian came to power. 
And Domitian waged a terrible war against the people of God. He wanted to be honored as Lord and God. And so you read the book of Revelation and you find out that Christians had to make a choice, either renounce their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ or stay true to the Lord, suffer economic adversities, any number of persecutions and tribulations, or even death. And so tribulation or persecution was a very real threat in the first century. We live in a world today, we live in a country today where we are blessed with freedom. We have the opportunity to come together on the first day of the week to worship God without any kind of fear or harm. What if that were to change? If that were to reverse, would we stay true to God? Would we hold fast to him or would we become a spiritual casualty? Do you remember what Jesus said in Revelation chapter 2 in writing to saints who were suffering for their faith? He said, be faithful unto death. In other words, you be faithful even if it costs you your life. And I'll give unto you the crown of life. And so sometimes people allow tribulation or persecution to choke the word. Well, there's a second reason cited by Jesus. And as we think about this second reason, I would simply say that there are some that allow the cares of the world and, as Jesus said, the deceitfulness of riches to choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Paul, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, talks about some who are lovers of pleasure, Rather than lovers of God, we live in what might be called an entertainment-crazed society. Everything's about me, isn't it? I mean, we live in a day and time when people are all about self. They're all about personal gratification. And it's all about what brings me happiness. We live in a day and time when there are many, many people who are more concerned with material things than spiritual things. Jesus said, take heed and beware of covetousness. A man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. It's very easy for people to become spiritual casualties because of the cares of the world, the various things that are going on in the world. Sometimes people allow their their occupation, or their schoolwork, or their hobbies, or their sporting pursuits to take precedence over Almighty God. And then there are those that allow the love of the Almighty dollar to take preeminence in their lives. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul sounded what we might call a warning. He said, those who are minded to be rich fall into a temptation and snare and many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. He said, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil which some men having reached after have pierced themselves through with many sorrows and been led astray from the faith. All he's saying is that if you allow money and materialism to become preeminent in your life, you will become a spiritual casualty. You'll lose your faith. And then what about trials? Trials is a third thing that 
I would submit unto you, causes spiritual shipwreck. Let me call attention to what James said in James chapter 1, verse 2. He said, count it all joy when you fall into manifold trials. And the idea there is that there are outward trials that we face in this life. Those trials could take the form of disease, illness, sickness, the loss of a job, financial reversal, the death of a loved one. There are many things that could, that could fall under that heading. But I want to give you an example of what I'm talking about. Do you remember the, the story of Job in Job chapters 1 and 2? When Satan appeared before the throne of God, what was the ultimate desire of Satan? He wanted to destroy the faith of Job. Job was a good man. The Bible says he feared God. He turned away from evil. Job was a righteous man, and yet Satan led an all-out assault on his soul. Satan wanted to, to destroy him. And so in a, in a very brief matter of time, what did Job lose? He lost his children, seven sons and three daughters. He lost his wealth. The Bible says he also lost his health. Then his own wife said, curse God and die. Now, if you don't think people sometimes lose their faith in adversity, if you don't think that has been a problem in the past, I would encourage you to do some extensive reading to look around, to talk to people. There have been people, members of the body of Christ, that have faced severe circumstances. They have been through the trials of life, and they have walked away from it all. There have been folks in the past, they've lost a son or daughter. And they've had the attitude, if a loving God could allow my child to die, then I don't want anything to do with him. It's not the right attitude, but that's how some feel. There are some people that because of disease or illness, they have granted a great misunderstanding of human suffering. But there are some folks that have renounced God. Because they don't understand why they're undergoing a siege of physical problems. Let me tell you what. The devil does not care how you lose your faith. All he cares about is that you lose it. Doesn't matter how it happens. I mean, it could be tribulation or persecution. It could be the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches. It could be trials. Those are very real things that happen in the lives of people. Let me give you another reason. False doctrine. Why is it that you and I need to anchor into the truth? Well, Paul talks about the danger of being tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. Now in 1 Timothy chapter 1, we read about Hymenaeus and Alexander. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, the Bible speaks of Hymenaeus and Philetus. If Hymenaeus 
the one spoken of in chapter 1 of 1 Timothy, is the same man referenced by Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 2. One of the things that he was doing was teaching or preaching false doctrine. The Bible says that Hymenaeus and Philetus were overthrowing the faith of some, teaching that the resurrection has already occurred or already happened. There are a lot of people that don't know the truth of Almighty God. That is a given. One of the reasons why we need to ground ourselves in the truth of Almighty God is because if we don't, we are open prey for the devil. You've got to know what the Bible says. You remember what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, Sanctify the Lord God in your heart always. Be ready to give an answer to every man that asks you of the hope that's in you with meekness and fear. All Peter is saying is you need to know what you believe. And you need to know why you believe it. If you don't know what you believe and why you believe it, you are open prey for the devil. Imagine these two men, Hymenaeus and Philetus. They're going about teaching that the resurrection has already passed. That was false. There are people today that will sell you a false bill of goods. They will tell you, you don't have to obey God to be saved. You don't have to maintain faithful allegiance to God to go to heaven. It's false. We have to stay true to God. And so, these are some reasons why people sometimes fall prey to the devil and become spiritually shipwrecked. Now, Let's think in the third place about the remedy for spiritual shipwreck. In other words, what's the cure? And I believe that there is a cure. Sometimes people run aground, spiritually speaking. Sometimes people are not what they ought to be. They're not where they ought to be. Their life is not right with Almighty God. Why? Because they've left the faith. They've gone back into the world. So how do you get those people back? What's the plan? What's the plea? Well, first of all, let me begin by maybe spending some time and talking about how to deal with those who have suffered spiritual shipwreck. There are a couple of things that maybe we would do well to consider. First of all, our attitude, and then secondly, our actions. What is our attitude toward those who have run aground, spiritually speaking. Well, I think Peter summed it up well in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, when he said, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Our goal, our desire for any person within the body of Christ, without the body of Christ, is that they would be saved. That's biblical. Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, that God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. If somebody abdicates his or her faith, the goal is to bring them back to Christ. So what kind of action does the Bible mandate? Now, if you look at our context here in verse 20, Paul, of course, is talking about Hymenaeus and Alexander whose faith has suffered shipwreck. And he said, whom I delivered to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. Now, if... Indeed, Hymenaeus had been teaching that the resurrection was already past. That is a cardinal doctrine of the New Testament. And by all means, that was subverting the faith of other people. 
And so apparently Paul is talking here about some type of spiritual discipline being enacted in order to try to recover these people. Similar to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 when a man had his father's wife. And Paul talked about delivering such a one to Satan that the spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. The idea is to try to bring that person to a state of repentance. And of course that worked because in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, we read that the wayward brother repented. Paul said godly sorrow leads to repentance, not to be regretted. But nonetheless, some type of spiritual discipline was enacted. Now I said just a minute ago, what's our attitude and what's the course of action? The goal is to reach a person whose faith has run aground. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul talks about the servant of the Lord who sits down with a brother or sister whose faith has suffered shipwreck. And that person demonstrates a spirit of humility. He or she is competent in the scriptures. And they talk about the Lord, the Lord's word, the state of that wayward brother or sister. And the goal is, according to Paul, repentance. If God peradventure will grant them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. Now in verse 26 he says that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him to do his will. So the idea is to bring that person to his or her spiritual senses. Now, let me, let me just say this. We talk about dealing with those who are spiritually shipwrecked. What's, what's the desire? I mean, what's the ultimate desire? Two things. Number one, awareness. When a person leaves the faith, when a person suffers spiritual shipwreck, it's incumbent on those of us who belong to the body of Christ, who are trying to live a faithful life, to sit down and talk to those people. What is it we're trying to achieve? That they might come to their senses. That's what Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 26. Let me give you an example. You remember the prodigal son in Luke 15? He got his inheritance early. He went out into a far country and there wasted everything that his father had entrusted into his care with profligate, wasteful living. The Bible says he ended up feeding with the swine. Now here's what Jesus said in verse 17 of chapter 15. And when he came to himself. Let's just say here's a brother or sister. They are not faithful. They're not living the kind of life that's conducive to New Testament Christianity. We sit down, we talk to them. We, we talk to them about their soul, about the danger that lies before them, about the ramifications of living an unfaithful life, and they come to their senses. What's our attitude? Thank God they came to their senses. Thank God that there was an awareness. Think about people in our, in our world today who are addicted to alcohol and to some other type of chemical substance. You can talk to somebody who is enslaved to alcohol or some other form of chemical substance until you are blue in the face. 
You can talk to them about what they're doing to their family, about what they're doing to their own life, what they're doing to their community, but until they come to their senses, until they recognize I have a problem, I need help with this problem. Listen to me very carefully. You're wasting your time. You are wasting your time. I might as well talk to that wall. Until a person realizes where he or she is, it is hopeless. That's why Paul said that they may come to their senses. There are some folks, sometimes I'd like to shake them. There are some mamas and daddies sometimes that I would like to shake. Why? Because they're setting a bad precedence. As a mom or a daddy, if the Lord isn't first in your life, let me ask this question. What do you think that's going to do to your children? If you're not faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're not striving to put the Lord first in your life, in your work, your worship, in the way you live day in and day out, what do you think that's going to, what do you think that's going to do to your children and their faith? If you don't have a faith, mark it down. They're probably not going to have a faith. If you have a strong faith, then they're probably going to have a strong faith. So we talk about awareness. And then, secondly, admission. When somebody's faith is shipwrecked, they've got to come to their senses, and then they've got to realize, hey, I've got to get out of this. I've got to extract myself from this way of life. Going back to the prodigal son, the Bible says he came to himself. That light went off. He said, how many hired servants of my father have bread enough to spare and I'm perishing here with hunger. This will I do. I will arise and go to my father and say to my father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. When he went home, what did he say to his father? I've sinned. When David recognized what, what he had done with Bathsheba, what did he say? I have sinned. There was awareness and there was admission. Now, thirdly, deliverance. Let's just say that my faith has run aground. Let's just say that I'm not where I ought to be spiritually. My life's not what it ought to be. I know it. And I want to come home. What can I expect? Well, if we, look, if we use Luke 15... I think we have a beautiful picture of what occurs. First of all, we find compassion. When the prodigal made the decision to go home, the Bible says while he was a great way off, his father saw him and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Jesus said he had compassion on him. Look, when somebody gets caught up in a life of sin, we ought to have compassion on them. We ought to love them enough to talk to them and try to bring them back to the Lord. That ought to be our ultimate goal. We're, we're not interested in kicking somebody to the curb, throwing somebody under the bus. We're, we're interested in the souls of people. And so, first... There is compassion. And second, there is cleansing. 
Let me give you a passage of scripture found in the book of James. James said, Brethren, if one of you errs or wanders from the truth, let him know that he who converts a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and hide a multitude of sin. All James is saying is that when somebody whose faith has run aground, when they come back to the Lord, you know what they enjoy? Forgiveness. Cleansing. They are made right with Almighty God. I want to ask this question today. If you were to gauge your faith, where would you be, spiritually speaking? In, in other words, if you were to if you, were to, if you were to sit down and try to tell somebody, okay, this is where I am, spiritually speaking, would you say that I'm faithful? Would you say that my life is not what it ought to be? That I'm facing some struggles in life, I'm trying to do better? Or would you say that, would you say, my faith has suffered shipwreck. The beauty, you can come home. You can come home today. The door is wide open. You see, Jesus is in the saving business. He's interested in people who are lost. He's interested in those who have never obeyed the gospel. He's interested in those who have obeyed the gospel but have renounced him or have gone back into the world. Where are you? If you're here today and you've never obeyed the gospel, could I encourage you to make that decision today? We've had several that have been baptized into Christ within the last few days. We would love to baptize you into Christ today. Do you believe Jesus to be the Son of God? Would you be willing to repent of your sins as they did on Pentecost Day as described by Peter in Acts chapter 2? Would you confess the name of Christ before others? Would you be willing to be baptized so that every sin could be washed away? Acts twenty two sixteen. If you're here and your life is not what it ought to be, why not come home? Look, we're not, we're not against you. We're for you. If you need to respond to heaven's invitation, maybe your life's not what it ought to be. We are the family of God. You know what families do? Families pull for one another. They pray for one another. They help one another. If we can help you in any way, we want to do that. Here's what James said. Confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another as we stand and sing.